from the empire of lies, an oasis of truth, free speech, and open debate in the vast wasteland that is the new world order under Joe Biden. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. And we made it to Wednesday. It's a great day because China is not in an active hot war with the world. Uh, but Nancy Pelosi is getting away slowly but surely because of trouble. You've seen that, Rod. Trouble between Taiwan and China, right? Yeah, I, I saw Taiwan flew some uh, drones recently, and that was the first time. So uh, that's a provocation. And they're saying they're not done. China, Taiwan says any Chinese military, anything that comes within 12 kilometers of Taiwan, they're going to shoot at. That's not good. Agreed? Not at all, Lee, not at all. It's, it's very scary. But Nancy Pelosi, you got your way. You went there. Good job. Way to go, Nancy. So we have two great guests today. You put together a great show for us. First hour from Moscow, Robert Bridge will be joining us to talk about the big story. Well, it's a big headline. Is the death of Mikhail Gorbachev, right? I, I would say that's one of the big headlines. The death of Mikhail Gorbachev, the last leader of the Soviet Union at 91. And we'll talk to him about the reaction in Moscow and a little about also he's got a new article in strategic culture magazine about donald trump so we'll talk about that and then the second hour we got the great daniel czar talking more about the legacy of gorbachev and we'll talk about this china thing that's going on and we got a new feature i'm i'm now doing a question of the day so it's something you can you don't have you don't have to talk about it but you can. So I posted a question today on Twitter. And the question of the day is, if you call in 202-521-1320, the question is, are Democrats headed for historic election losses? Give your prediction, and you can call in with that answer. And, or anything you want to. So that's what's coming up on the show. Rod, what is the name of the show? You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Well done, Ron. So uh, a few things going on. One thing I noticed, I, I mentioned yesterday that they're having big water problems in Jackson, Mississippi. And now it's the second day they don't have drinking water. Now let's ponder this for a second. Jackson, Mississippi, the capital, the capital city in America does not have drinking water for two days. Does that sound kind of third worldy to you, Rod? Oh, of course, Lee. And um, I'm waiting for this uh, building back better. Are we gonna? When does when the building back better start? Do you have a, a date when that might start, Lee, around the country? Yes. Yeah, so, no. I just mentioned that, and our hopes and prayers are out to people in Jackson. A lot of businesses have closed. So we could have more on that as the week progresses. And hopefully they get, they're, they're down to drinking bottled water because that's what they can drink. 
but and apparently a water plant was overwhelmed. But you know, so speaking of plants that have been overwhelmed, the team from I believe it's the UN. I I, I want to get it right, but I believe it's the UN is at the power plant, the Zaporozhye power plant in Ukraine that Ukraine has been shelling. And I'm going to say the fear of a nuclear catastrophe there is because of Ukraine, because they're shelling. That's the problem. They're lobbing missiles, dummies. And by the way, there is also a new Ukrainian counteroffensive, they're calling it, in the Kurzon region. And it's not going well for Ukraine. Have you heard that, Rod? Yeah, I did hear that, Lee. Um, and, you know, they it's almost like within a few hours they announced that things are going well. And then, a few, you know, no less than maybe two or three hours later, you know, uh, you'll have some type of uh, information come out and say, no, that's not true. And, you know, Russia's gaining some more territory, more, more Ukrainian casualties. Yeah. Now, I want to I'm going to play a clip. This is an interesting clip to me. This is comedian Rob Schneider, formerly of SNL, done a number of films. He ends up playing minor parts in Adam Sandler films all the time. But he was on Glenn Beck, and he talked about the nature of comedy in the last few years and how the political consciousness—I won't even just say wokeism—because he talked about Kate McKinnon. Now, Kate McKinnon was on SNL. And she's, I think Kate McKinnon is very talented and very funny, but she loved playing Hillary Clinton. And he pointed out with no joke, that's, and Hillary Clinton's not exactly woke. She's an establishment Democrat. But I thought this is an interesting clip about the problem. And Rob Schneider thinks comedy's over. And he could be right. It's not that I don't want See, I'm not opposed to Alec Baldwin making fun of Trump. Trump is fair game to make fun of. Oh, speaking of which, did you happen to see, Rod, it was going kind of viral on Twitter this weekend, Jamie Foxx's impression of Donald Trump. Did you hear that? Uh, no, I missed that. I missed that clip of Jamie Foxx doing Donald Trump. Uh, I, 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 uh, Jamie Foxx was going viral for a couple of reasons. Uh, he talked about a movie that was made where uh, Robert Downey Jr. was playing a Mexican, but they couldn't put it out because, uh, you know, the times we're in now, what you're talking about where comedy's dead. Yes. And and being being an actor, Peter, Peter Sellers would never have been able to do anything because Peter Sellers played Asians and— uh, he was in a film called The Magic Christian, where Ringo Starr played a Mexican. You can look it up online. But Jamie Foxx, and, and by the way, Jamie Foxx, another super talented person. Jamie Foxx, amazingly talented. But Jamie Foxx did an impression of Trump. And I got to get the clip. Look for that, Rod, and pull it for tomorrow. It's a really good impression of Donald Trump. and. If you if you follow Jimmy Fox at all, it's not surprising. He's a very good impressionist, but it's a very good impression of Trump. So let's play it for tomorrow. But now let's play the clip of Rob Schneider talking about the death of comedy. Hit it. 
one of the things is I travel around this country and try to perform and, you know, not indoctrinate people like some <laughs> comedy shows <laughs> seem to be doing these days. <laughs> Indo- not Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I mean, I hate to crap on my old show. I hate to crap on my old show. But when I saw when Hillary Clinton lost, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not exactly the most likely yeah. person in the room. Right. And then when Kate McKinnon went out there on Saturday Night Live in the cold opening, and I was like, she started dressed as Hillary Clinton, and she starts playing Hallelujah. And I said, I literally prayed to please have a joke at the end. Don't do this. Please don't go down there. And there was no joke at the end. And I went, it's over. It's over. It's, it's not going to come back. And it's those, it really is the end of... It's gone. You can, you can take the comedy routines, the, com- the comedy routines, you can take the comedic indoctrination process happening with each of the late night hosts, mm-hmm. and you can exchange them with each other. That's how you know it's not interesting anymore. Because no, there's no... It's not an independent voice anymore. It's just all indoctrination by comedic imposition. And by the way, it's, it's, it's too bad because... There's a role for comedy in politics. Satire is a useful tool, but it's boring when it's just one side, and it's always one side, and it always comes down on the Democrat side. And remember on Saturday Night Live when they were literally singing in the praises, who was it, Mueller? I forget who, but I think it was Mueller where they came out and sang like a love song to him. And they were serious. It was not a joke. They were not a parody of themselves. But I thought that was an interesting clip. What do you think, Rod? I think he's 100% right, Lee. Uh, Rob Snyder's been tweeting about a lot of stuff over the years that uh, we would agree on. Uh, Our audience who listens here also would agree on. But, you know, obviously he's been doing it uh, a little tediously. He doesn't want to put himself out there like that. But um, then that clip's from him on the blaze with Glenn Beck, but I agree a hundred percent, you know, um, you know, just like uh, Jamie Foxx was talking about, uh, Robert Downey Jr. playing a Mexican. I mean, Tropic Thunder was funny as hell to me. Uh, I like it. Um, it's a funny movie. He's obviously playing a black guy. And when the movie came out, there was no uproar. There was no mass protest. But if you try to do a Tropic Thunder two or something like that, they'd call Robert Downey Jr. The most racist thing. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's just so stupid. It's just, it's just a movie. It's comedy. You know, it's not like it was back in the day where they were really making fun of black people or Asian people, things like that. Well, and Robert Downey Jr. was brilliant in Traffic Thunder. And if anyone should be offended, it should be the Australians. Because he didn't just play—what he played was Robert Downey Jr. was playing an Australian actor playing a black guy. Right? That's the full thing. Am I, am I remembering correctly? Yeah, that, that's that's hundred percent. Lee, so he was doing a, a double a double acting job. He was playing as an Australian, and then he was playing an Australian playing a black guy. So it, to me, it was a funny movie. Yeah, it was. I I thought it was a great movie, and just and the best part was they dealt with. He was in a scene with a black actor, and the black actor was like, "What are you doing?" Remember that? Yeah. When, yeah, that was uh, Brandon T. Jackson, a comedian, and his uh, drink in the movie, his, his his drink that he was promoting was called Booty Juice. Yes, and and it, it got called out, but that was brilliant. Let's take a short break. Robert Bridge is on from Moscow. Let's take a short break and talk to Robert Bridge right after this break on The Backstory.
are back on The Backstory and joined now from Moscow by writer and analyst Robert Bridge. Hey, Robert, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm good, Lee. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. It's great to talk to you again. So my question is, you because too, you're in Moscow, what's been the reaction to the death of Mikhail Gorbachev at 91? What do people in Russia think of Gorbachev? He's been gone for a long time. And he was the last leader of the Soviet Union. But what are people's thoughts about him? Uh, well, it depends on who you talk to. I, uh, if you talk to the liberals, then uh, they're, they were very happy about his role. Uh, the type of people who uh, are basically for globalization and opening up the door to big companies and corporations and um I personally used to like the guy until I, I, I did my research on him. And to be quite honest, a lot of the research I did took place today. Uh, I, I wasn't aware of a lot of things that, that he had done that were disastrous for, for Russia. Um, I, the, the good things that he did, of course, was he opened up the country. He, he let Russians travel. He, um, he reached arms deals with the United States. Um, what else did he do? He refused to intervene, for example, with Eastern European nations when they rose up against their communist rulers. Um, he basically is the one who ended the uh, bloody Soviet war in Afghanistan that had that a lot of people think that even was the, the reason for the collapse of the Soviet Union. It drained it drained the, the resources from the, the, the Soviet empire so greatly um, until 1979. Um, but what he did, and aside from, you know, bringing Pizza Hut into the country, <laughs> into the Soviet Union with that famous Pizza Hut commercial, um, he did a lot of a lot of damage. Uh, I think he was, you know, the road, the, what is it, what is the saying? The, the road to, uh, is paved, the road to hell is paved, you know. Um, I can't remember the saying right now, but he, um, uh he basically opened the door to the uh, vulture capitalists and all the people who would prey on on the Soviet Union and Russia when it was down on its knees and really in a bad state. Uh, a lot of these vulture capitalists came in through Yeltsin after, after um, Gorbachev, but he's Gorbachev is really blamed for for opening the door. Uh, to these people and making terrible, really horrendous deals. Like, for example, uh, I'm reading one. I'm looking at a, a page of a book here. I don't have the writer's name, but um, this this happened on May 31st, 1990, um, when George Bush I asked Gorbachev about Germany. You remember Germany was split between East and West, and he's asking him about NATO. And uh, Gorbachev suddenly acknowledged, uh, said that Germany should be given the right to choose any alliance it wanted to join. Um, this basically opened the door to, to uh, NATO expansion. Um, he didn't. Gorbachev apparently never even asked his his uh, staff or anybody on advice on this. He just went ahead and did it. Uh, another thing that I I found out about him is that um, how badly the the, the uh, country suffered through his through his so-called reforms. Um, they say that Russia's GDP had dropped by 40% under Gorbachev. Um, real wages were halved. Poverty just skyrocketed. Suicide skyrocketed. Drunkenness skyrocketed, even though he tried to 
um, get rid of alcohol in the store shelves. That that didn't really work. So, um, yeah, and then, you know, basically suicides, Russian, you, know, you, you had the death rate. People wondered why Russians were dying at such an early age. Well, a lot of it had to do with the fact that there was just nothing left for them to do. Uh, the unemployment and the only thing they could basically do was drink. Uh, the privatization programs and the shock therapy were just disastrous for so many people. And they say that even half a million women were, were trafficked into sexual slavery. Uh, you know, people just desperate to survive. So um, I think in the West, he's he's talked about as, you know, bringing, uh, bringing out this glass nose and perestroika and all this stuff, which on the one hand is good, but a lot of a lot of people in the West, they don't understand the price tag that went with all that, which was extremely high for Russians, and a lot of Russians will never forget about it. And unfortunately, I hate to say this on the day that he died, but unfortunately, they'll never forgive him for it. Now, uh, one way that Americans could understand is, for instance, I was shocked when I found out that during the 90s, life expectancy dropped in Russia, right? You you heard that. Yes. But now yes. in the U.S., have you heard in the last year or two, life expectancy has dropped here? And of course, our heard, suicide yeah. rate is huge. And our suicide rate is especially bad among veterans. And uh, I believe so. It. In some ways, Americans can understand because there's a lot of talk about democracy and so on. But things are getting worse. So they talk one way, but the reality is something. And I don't need to go into the fentanyl thing. The opioid crisis, you know, huge. Exactly. But Exactly. I've, I've heard a lot about that. And uh, that's one thing Russians don't have to worry about. They don't uh, depend on the pharmaceuticals to get them through problems. They, um, uh, they, they don't have that. that, that uh, thank God they, they, they prefer to. The natural way of, I mean, of course, some sometimes you need those types of of uh, intervention and medicine and things like that. And I, I guess many people are starting to jump on board the antidepressants and the opioids a little bit more here. But for the most part, they, they try to stay away from that stuff. And another ironic parallel, you talked about Gorbachev opened up so Russians could travel abroad. Well, who's stopping Russians from traveling abroad right now? It's the EU and the U.S. They're stopping a, Russians from traveling anywhere, right? That's a very good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. And uh, yeah, it shows where the new the new uh, tyranny is coming from. Um, and and my, my question is, why didn't they do this to Americans and Europeans when we were attacking Iraq and Syria and Libya and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Why, where were the sanctions then? Where were the travel restrictions on Americans and Europeans? It didn't happen. Nobody even nobody even thought to raise those issues. Why weren't sports uh, contenders banned? Why weren't tennis players banned from participating? I mean, it's just the hypocrisy is it's just off the charts. It's really off the charts. And and you could argue that, and a lot, you can argue that the Ukrainian war in many different ways. A lot of people are against it. I could you know I could understand that, but uh, I think Russia had a very good reason for doing what they did, whereas. What kind of a reason did we have to go into Iraq? Basically none. And how many people, uh, yeah, they say that a million people were either killed or displaced in Iraq. Uh, but where was the punishment? Nobody, no, nobody was punished for that. Not, not, a single, not a single Westerner was punished 
but yet the the, the Russian people are are um, really suffer. Well, I can't say they're suffering. They're very upset. They're very angry uh, about it, and um, it it is humiliating to them that they should be punished for the actions of the government when something like this is not the norm anywhere in the world. You've never seen anything like this before where the people are being punished. And uh, you just have to look at it as russophobia and racism. It's the only way I can explain it. But I think you could see this winter, Robert, a number of Europeans come into Russia as tourists just to take a warm shower. That's a goal. <laughs> so That's shower tourism could become a thing. So, Robert, you have another <laughs> article in Strategic Culture, and uh, uh-huh. you you talk about Donald Trump, and you have a, an interesting perspective on him. And you're telling people it's not—well, why don't you explain it? What's your position on Trump that you say in your, your new article? Uh, well, um, a lot of the things that are happening— uh, this base, this is uh, where you have the weaponization of the federal agencies, for example, the FBI. Uh, and that was very clear in the raid on Mar-a-Lago, uh, that that was just, you know, when you compare when you compare what they did there with what they didn't do with, for example, Hillary Clinton's 33,000 emails, many of them were classified. Uh, that she sent through her home computer. That that was never. She never received any punishment for that. She wasn't. They didn't have a SWAT team arriving at, you know, the Clinton Foundation. Um, nor did they do anything about. And, and Robert, Biden's let me stop you there one second because I'm going to ask you uh-huh. something you might not know. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you know that Hillary Clinton never used not one time her government assigned email? That all of her emails went through her private server. Every one of them. She never used. Her State Department email. No, actually, I didn't know that, but it, it wouldn't surprise me though. I mean, the, the woman—I've heard the way she used her um, mobile phone as well. Her what was it, the black, uh, whatever that, the, uh, the old model type phone that she had at one time. They talked about Blackberry. how she was very reckless. Yes, very reckless with that. So um, yeah, the rules just don't apply. Uh, the law doesn't apply when it comes to the Democrats, but it. It's always being enforced against the Republicans, and it's uh, it's very very disconcerting for me to see that. And um, and and in all all walks of life in, in the United States now, it's the corporations. They've become all lefty, uh, federal agencies, leftist sporting organizations. They're all they're all you know pulling up the same uh, type of agenda that that they're all on the left and. Um, you just wonder, you have a few like Chick-fil-A, <laughs> Chicken Place, and a few other places that I guess you can call conservative. But when you look at the, the you know, broad scale spectrum, uh, they're all left. They're all leftists and uh, progressives. You want to call them progressives, progressives, but uh, what, they're, what they're pandering to the people is just, you know, this trans, we can get into the transgender debate, the critical race theory and uh, diversity and equity training and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it's, you know, now you even have the, as I'm sure you're aware of, I I read about it from here. Thank God I don't have to experience firsthand, but these drag queen uh, events where you have kids, parents, adults, I mean, grown adults, so stupid and mindless to take their kids to an event where 
there's a guy dressed up like a woman and they're talking about sexual issues. Even even the, the gay community is asking, what the heck are you doing? There's no place to be bringing a child. Why are you doing this? I mean, they're even coming out and asking, what, what, what the heck is on your mind? Why do you need to do these sorts of things to, um, to children's books in the, in, in the school libraries where they're talking about pedophilia with graphic art? Um, it, it's just, it, to me, from here, you know, I just remember my, my childhood growing up in America. Everything seemed so normal and really normal. And uh, now I just, I, I used to think that maybe I made a mistake moving to Russia, to be quite honest. But now I, I no longer think that way. I have kids now. And I would never, I hate to say this, and I never thought I would say it, but I would never go back to the States. And I would never, ever, basically because of my kids, I, I just wouldn't be able to send them to a public school. I wouldn't know what was being put into their heads without my knowledge. And I, I don't think I'd be able to afford a private education for my kids. Who knows? Maybe I could. I don't know. But even private schools, I guess, have the, maybe the same problems as well. So you just don't know what the heck is happening there. And it's frightening. Well, you're right. And the thing to remember is when gay, gay marriage was passed, essentially the argument that was being made in the gay community was, I think, reasonable, which is I'm gay and I'm not me, but I'm saying I'm, mm-hmm. not that there's anything wrong with it, for God's sakes. But uh, they said, look, I'm gay and I'm, I'm in love with someone. And if they're sick in the hospital, I don't have any right to visit them. And if they die, I can't be in the will. And that's a perfectly reasonable argument to me. To me, sure. I understand sure. why people would want that, right? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you that, uh, yeah, there, there are, I, I have no problem with that as well. And I agree with you that people should be able to live the life they, the way they want to. And uh, I think what's happening, though, is that we're letting these people uh, starting to dictate to schools, how they have to arrange their classrooms, what they have to teach their children. Um, I just read a story the other day where it was actually on TikTok. Uh, a father um, was talking about how he brought his uh, six-year-old, I believe it was six-year-old son, to the pediatrician. And the doctor came out into the waiting room. And the first thing that the pediatrician asked the boy was, do you believe uh, if you're a boy or a girl? That was the very first question. And uh, and this was California, of course. And the father yeah. was just like, "What the heck are you asking my son this question for?" And so they're they're putting these ideas, they're dropping these hints into kids. And the, the, what's unbelievable is that these doctors think that they're right. They they think that this is really the way to do it. That and I, I don't know. Growing up, I I I you of course everybody knows you have gay people you know, gay friends, whatever. I had friends who I do were gay. I mean, but it, nobody th- threw it in your face constantly like this. It wasn't something that it wasn't turned into a one month ride event every every summer. Um, so it, it's just constantly in your face. And uh, it's, well, and here's how, it's not here's how it is now, Robert. I'm in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That's where I currently live. And my girlfriend today was at Walmart and she saw a boy in a leotard and pink tutu. In Sioux Falls. And Sioux oh Falls God. is not the most progressive place in America. So th- that I'm tells sure. you wh- where things are, Robert. Yeah, it's it's just mind-boggling. And I, I haven't been back to the States, to be honest, in seven years. So 
none of this had, had really taken off at that point. So a lot of it that I know about you know, comes through listening to you and, and other people to speak about it. But uh, it's just what, when I, when I do hear about it, it's, it's so shocking. And I, I, I just can't, I just can't fathom what these parents, what, what are they thinking? I, I they have to be, I, I mean, I'm sorry, but just brain dead to, to, to let their kids do something like this. Um, you want to be on the bandwagon so badly that you you brainwash and groom your child into something like this. Kids don't have any any concept of these things. I mean, they they haven't even entered puberty, and they're talking talking about these things and and getting these kids to sign up for transgender uh, sex change operations. You know, and once once you once you start chopping away at your body, that's it. You can't. There's no going back. And the the stories that I'm reading, you know, I used to read a lot on Twitter, but now you can't find these stories on Twitter because Twitter banned them all. Uh, they're just horrifying stories. People, people who, uh, I mean, there's many stories actually. And I really hope that what we see is, is a real movement, a real um, legal movement against these doctors who are performing these surgeries. And I really think that's part of a big part of the reason why they're doing it is because it's such a huge uh, way to make money, you know, you've, you've created, you've carved out a whole new niche in the medical field. Um, and once these, once these kids get on these hormone blockers, and you know, you, you have, they, they're on. A, this is a lifetime thing. You have to block your your testosterone for the rest of your life. You need to buy that medicine for the rest of your life. Surgery and operations cost a ton of money. Plus, there are complications, and you know, so you're, you're talking about a lifelong uh, commitment to keeping yourself <laughs> the opposite sex, if you want to call it that. Uh, so it's just, ah, how, how do you say it? Well, it's, you know, you know the Democrats would like to talk about the, their advocates of science. I bet there's enough data now on children who've had those surgeries. We could find out, I have a simple question. How's it working out? I'd like to look at children who had those surgeries, let's, let's say, five years ago and see how it's mm-hmm. worked out for them. Both physically yeah, there, and mentally. Exactly. And there, there is actually a lot of stories. And, and surprisingly, you can find those. Um, you know, Google's has, has become great at hiding information and burying things. But that is one thing that I've noticed that you can still find if you do a Google search on, um, you know, regret, uh, transgender regret and things like that. You'll get you'll get a lot of a lot of hits, surprisingly, still uh, people sharing their stories about um, there's one particular I wish I knew could remember her name. Um, a woman, I, I can't remember her name, but anyways, her daughter had gone through the whole thing and and I had a mastectomy, vasectomy, and all, everything just removed. And uh, tragically, a few years later, she regretted everything. She matured, understood she made a huge mistake, but that's it. You know, once you've gone that point, that far, you, you've screwed up your body chemistry so badly and you... So it's, it is, it's, it's a real tragedy. And um, that's why they need to keep this away from kids in the classroom. You can't be confusing these kids. They need to just think about the, the reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, and at the age of 18, okay, they want to change their sex? Go ahead. You're an adult now. But to start putting these ideas into a child's mind when, when they, they haven't even reached puberty, it's just criminal. And these people who are doing it, I'm sorry, they should be locked up for the rest of their lives. Well, I think the thing that could change it, and this is set up for a clue, is I think 
I'm seeing one way to fight a lot of problems politically in the world is through well-placed lawsuits. I think that these doctors are potentially opening themselves up, for, but it would have to be a brave, brave parent because in this culture, the parents would be attacked pursuing and called homophobic and everything else when they're oh, nothing yeah. of the oh, kind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't criticize them. It's just like on Twitter, Facebook. I, I had so many people I was following on there. Doctors, you know, you're a doctor and you're coming out and you're talking about it. And you're getting banned on Twitter. I mean, come on. What have we done to medicine? That's what medicine is all about, having second opinions and people debating things. Is this good or is this bad? Uh, but now you can't you can't talk. It's a, it's a real medical tyranny that's that's fallen onto the United States. And you're right. You're absolutely right, Lee. That that that's, that needs to be the way it's going to change is for these people to be sued right out of business, and under to make be made to understand that it's not going to work this way. They can't. They got to stay away from the kids. Just stay away from. That's what I like about Russia. You know, you try to do that with a kid here, you will be beaten to death. No joke. You don't play games like that in Russia like that. You don't. You don't even think about. It. They passed a law. You don't. You don't talk about. You don't talk about normal sex with kids at a certain age. You don't talk about homosexuality. You don't talk about transgender. You don't have gay parades walk, marching through your city. And I agree with it 100%. They don't need to hear these things. Let kids be kids. Let kids study. Let kids read books like they're supposed to. And then when they're 18 and they have a mind, a fully developed, mature mind, when they can make such a decision, okay, go ahead. Nobody's, I wouldn't question it at all. You want to be? You want to change your sex? Go ahead. But don't start this stuff on a child who's eight years old, even younger. Three is, you know, even it's even happening happening in the kindergarten, in kindergartens. I've heard. Now, by the way, let's talk about life in Moscow for a second, because we see mixed reports. But you know, the West, Western media, we know everything they say about Russia is a lie, and they're trying to make it seem Absolutely. like the sanctions are affecting Russia. But when I talk to people there. How does day-to-day life, like when you go to the store, aside from the fact there's no boys in pink tutus, uh, is there food? Is there pl- is, are, are you seeing any shortages that you think are caused by the West sanctions? How's life in Moscow right now, Robert? Uh, Lee, Lee, to tell you the truth, if you came here, you would be shocked. There is absolutely nothing. You cannot see a single sign, a single indication that there is even a single sanction being leveled against this place. Nothing. I was sitting in a, a hamburger joint uh, in Moscow, really nice place, best hamburgers I've ever had. And, really? uh, you know, we, they, they took away McDonald's here, but Russians don't care at all because they have so many, you know, domestic brands now that are much better, much healthier than McDonald's. So they don't care at all. Um and I'm, I'm sitting there with, actually, it was Peter Lavelle. I don't know, I guess you know Peter. And we were sitting yes. there having our lunch, and, and we were looking out the window and, and uh, just laughing and just saying, my gosh, if people in the West could see this, how, you know, what, 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 what you know, how the thing, how the life is here, they just would not believe it. It is really, I mean, I, I do know, I, I admit, I do know some personal tragic stories. I know a guy uh, near me, he, um, He's in advertising, and his his German-owned uh, company that he was working for is a book publisher. It went out of business, so he lost a very good job. Now he's struggling. 
you know, to see his family and he's got, you know, he's got help from his family and whatever, but that's the only, myself personally, that's the only story. And I'm sure there are, you know, you could probably, I'm not going to lie there. I'm sure there are personal tragedies quite a lot, but you just don't, you just don't see it. You don't hear about it. You don't feel it on the street. I mean, there's businesses just booming everywhere. It's, um, I'm not seeing any, any, you know, aside from the, the, uh, when you go through a shopping mall, uh, you see the occasional H&M that's out of business, the Ikea that's out of business. But, you know, the, you have to understand the Moscow house. And I'm sure you, you talked about being at lunch with the great Peter Lavelle, who is the host of Crosstalk on RT. And the question, I'm sure, is on everyone's yeah, mind. A lot of, yeah, a lot of them are doing that. They're afraid to bite the bullet, so to speak. So when you go out for a hamburger with Pedro Lavelle, just the so big question, Robert, much is money just, to be made here. You go here, and I'm not. So does Peter Lavelle wear a bow tie when he goes out for a hamburger? Unfortunately, that's why I'm curious about. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> he does. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, he does. He wears his bow ties everywhere. Yeah, he really does. It's it's like uh, I don't think it ever comes off. I never see him in a t-shirt. But a great guy, uh, you, you know, he's really, he's just the same way in person as he is on, you know, very, uh, very knowledgeable. I've learned a lot from him. We, And I guess we're friends because um, we both have been here for so long. We both don't speak Russian. <laughs> I've been here forever and I, my Russian is still horrible. And we used to work together. I used to, you know, write in the same same newsroom where he, he had his office a uh, long time ago. And yeah, we just became friends and um, uh so yeah, that's that's something that yeah, and yeah, he still wears his bow tie, and he's still amazed and shocked, and he would never return to the United States either. Election, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, I don't want to speak for him too much, but from what I know, he's quite happy in in Russia. Yeah, no, I I respect and like Peter, and I've talked to him a few times off the air, and I really like talking to him, and he loves living in Moscow, and he's talking yeah, to me about guy. his life there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really a place a place that people have to visit just to just to see it for themselves and, and to clear their minds of the media brainwashing because Russia is just 180 degree difference from what people know. And that's everything I've heard from people who moved over there, like Fiorella Isabel, and uh, I've heard Rachel Blevins loves it over there. So it's almost midnight though in Moscow, and thanks for staying up with us, Robert. Thanks for staying up so late. It's a great conversation as usual. It's been a pleasure. That's a great rubber bridge. I, I, I always appreciate talking to you, Lee. Thank you. Okay, have a good night and say hi to everyone from America. And let's take a short break now. And when we come back, we'll talk about more of what's going on. And we'll play a great clip from Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch that I think explains a lot of stuff that's going on about Comey. And then I'll add to it with more stuff about Comey that people have forgotten. And that's coming up next on The Backstory. We are 
are back on the backstory and on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in the Empire of Lies capital, Washington, D.C. Now, I saw a clip, by the way, programming note, which I completely forgot. I did a podcast with the great George Eliason, a journalist who's in Donbass. And when I was first learning about Ukraine, I used to follow the work intensely of George Eliason because he was this guy I found who wrote a lot of amazing stuff that I was learning about. And he seemed to be accurate. And George Eliason had me on his podcast and it's just been put up. And I'll say, I don't want to sound braggadocious, but it's a hell of a good interview. And uh, considering I did it at nine in the morning on Monday, and I'm often asleep at nine in the morning, but I was on, you know, I did, Rod. We went over, he asked me about Bill Browder, and then he just kind of stood back and let me go off like a fire hydrant. And I went over all the stuff I know about the Trump Tower meeting, and that's stuff that I talk about that I don't see anybody else talk about. And what I'm about to tell you is one of those things. People forget the Trump Tower meeting, which was about, that's where where Russian lawyer Natalia Vesenovskaya went to Trump Tower and explained to a bunch of people, including uh, Don Jr. and Paul Manafort, including those people, all about the Magnitsky Act. And what he asked me about was, and I understand why George asked it, he asked whether I thought it was a setup of some kind. And I said, no, not at all. And then I told him what I know. Now, one of the things that people need to remember, the Magnitsky Act was the act promoted by Bill Browder and paid for by Mikhail Khodorkovsky. The Magnitsky Act was passed in 2012, and I'd say it was the start of the new era of anti-Russian stuff. Now, Rod, you've studied, studied this stuff a lot. Would you agree with me that the Magnitsky Act was a major turning point in U.S.-Russia relations? Yeah, no, I would definitely, I would definitely agree with that, Lee. Now, what people forget about the Magnitsky Act, and people sometimes forget this about Bill Browder, is his company, Hermitage, was owned by HSBC. HSBC, the British banking giant. Now, they owned the company. In other words, Bill Browder was HSBC, effectively. And then if you look at the when the Trump Tower meeting happened, and you look at when the Magnitsky Act happened, who was working for, who was on the board of HSBC when the Magnitsky Act was being put through in 2011-2012. Do you remember, Rod? Um, was it Comey? It was Comey. Yeah. James Comey was on the board of HSBC. And so I'm suggesting that th- that's a factor. And when you look at a timeline, I think it's an important factor in understanding what's been going on. And no one ever talks about it about Comey. Now, let's play the clip. This is Tom Fitton with other stuff people do talk about. But I think his connection to HSBC is major. I think it, it helps explain a lot of what Comey 
was trying to cover up. Because I think if Americans knew what the Magnitsky Act, first off, who was behind it, and that HSBC was behind it, and that HSBC was already in trouble because they'd been involved in money laundering. There's no question about that. The U.S. Justice Department gave them a huge fine because HSBC was doing money laundering. And what was Browder doing? Money laundering. The Magnitsky Act was, you know, we've had a guest describe it as the HSBC Protection Act, and that's accurate in a lot of ways. But let's see more stuff about Comey. Comey's right in the middle of this, and he's gotten off light. Let's play a clip from Tom Fitton. Hit it. Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy him. I'm paraphrasing, admittedly, but that's pretty clear what was going on. This report confirms they went in to confront him with, the, with, the, uh, with that ambush interview because they were trying to make a case against him. You had the FBI director under Obama playing spy. We're talking about spying on the Trump campaign, spying on President-elect Trump, spying on President Trump. Comey was the chief spy, and he was designated as such by Barack Obama because they met about this very issue a day or two before in the Oval Office with Barack Obama, Biden, Susan Rice, all the king's horses, all the king's men in there. And Comey was the go-to guy. Now, that, he's pointing out something very important. These people are very good at creating a paper trail. They know the way bureaucracy works. So they create a paper trail. Have you heard, speaking of the Mar-a-Lago raid, let's go back to that for a second. Have you heard that Biden, Trump had taken a lot of material about the Russiagate, about Russiagate, and he declassified it while he was still president. And then Biden reclassified the material. So the material at Mar-a-Lago, it was stuff that Trump had declassified, but Biden had reclassified, and then it was classified again. Had you heard that, Rod? Yeah, that's what I've been starting to hear uh, coming out now, but I feel like that's uh, presidential uh uh, mental gymnastics there, I would guess, because, I mean, if it's already declassified and President Trump, you know, all he has to say, these documents are declassified and he takes them home with him. If they're not, they're no longer the possession of uh, the next incoming president. So how does he reclassify something that aren't his anymore? Well, see, it's what Tom talked about. He was c creating a paper trail. Biden, by reclassifying that material, suddenly the stuff, the papers that Trump had, it just, you, you see, it gives some reason to justify a raid on Trump. And Biden's acting like he didn't know anything about this raid, when in fact, he set up the raid. Do you see what I'm saying? He created it because only Biden can do that. But yeah, I, 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 see what you're, I see what you're saying. But my, my whole thing is, and you know, I'm not an attorney. I know you're not an attorney. But, you know, once the document's left with Trump, how do you reclassify something that the former president, declass you know what I mean? That's my whole thing. It's just, and it's a tedious thing, but it's just, um, you know, I guess that, you know, who's, who's going to, uh, overwatch or oversight of, 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 uh, this, uh, declassification, declassification, classification issue. Right. But it was, it was a clever move on their part. And I think they might lose in court ultimately, but 
It was a clever move on their part. And the goal is to create a paper trail. All these people are very good at creating a paper trail. And once it's created, that's something they can argue in court. And let's face it, if it happens in a D.C. court, they win. Right, Rod? Oh, yeah, for sure. I've been in uh, a couple of those, the Juan trial and um, Michael Sussman. So I've seen it up close and personal. And, Lee, I don't, I don't know if you have, you've seen it again. Uh, you've seen it, but I've seen, I saw it. It was the uh, Showtime, the Comey rule. It was about pretty much about uh, President Trump uh, running for office and, and the FBI being alerted to this whole Russia collusion hoax. And I watched it in reverse because it's two parts. I've watched it in reverse by accident. But to me, if you watch it, and I, I suggest people watch it, it was kind of like a comedy. I know it's supposed to be serious, but it's kind of like a comedy showing, you know, uh, James Comey, oh my God, the Russians, the Russians, and he he holds all these meetings with uh, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and people like that. It, to me, uh, it's a serious show, but if you watch it, it's just hilarious. No, I, I believe it. And in a sense, you know, a movie like that is another form of creating a paper trail. Because what happens is people see things in a movie like that, and they don't know what's true or not, so they accept that as the truth. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, no, for sure. I, I, anybody who doesn't really know or who hasn't paid close attention and, you know, MSNBC watcher, CNN watcher, they would watch us like, yeah, this is exactly how it went down. The Russians came to D.C. and this, that, and the third. And, uh, you know, they paid for these ads and it affected the election and they hacked. And, you know, just to just hear key words, you know, hack and election and ads. And that's just all they hear. Well, I've told the story before because when I was a writer for Huffington Post, I did work for MoveOn.org. I, I made some commercials for them. They would hire me to make commercials. And luckily, I didn't do anything on a subject that I later regret. Everything I did for MoveOn, I'm still in favor of. But one day, a producer at MoveOn said, find the clip of Sarah Palin saying, I can see Russia from my house. And they told me to find that clip. But you know the problem with that, Rod? Go ahead, tell us, Lee. Sarah Palin never said that. Oh, Tina Fey, yeah. as Sarah Palin said that. But this producer, a smart person who worked for Move On, was convinced that Sarah Palin had said it. And a lot of people are convinced. And she never said it at all. And I had to go back to the person and say, sorry, that was Tina Fey. And they were like, no, I'm sure. And I'm like, no, it's not. But there we go. We got more coming up after this short break on the best damn radio show in the world, the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. This is Backstory. Wednesday edition of the backstory. And thanks again to Reverbridge, who we talked to from Moscow in the first hour. Great uh, conversation with Robert. Always a good one. I like him. And coming up this hour, Daniel Czar is joining us. And you are free to call in at 202 521 1320. And our question of the day is, are the Democrats headed for a historic loss, in your opinion? Call us up and tell, you what, tell us what you think. 
at 202-521-1320. This is the backstory. Now, speaking of the FBI, did you hear, Rod, about this guy Tebow? I'm going to say Timothy Tebow, the FBI agent. And there was all kinds of stories. I think Monday night it started that he'd been fired and escorted from the building with a box in his hands, you know, of his stuff from his desk. But he'd been fired. Did you hear that reported, Rod? Yeah, I did. I did hear that, Lee, and uh, a lot of um, I would say people who are against the FBI or you know uh, anti FBI were uh, cheering it on. And then also I saw within a couple hours that his attorney came out and said that. Everything that you heard was a lie. That's not how it went down. Right. And I had heard that before. And I said to people, he's not been fired as far as I know. And because I'd read one story that contradicted it, it said he quit. And then his lawyer statement came out. And I believe saying he was fired and some people were reporting it and made a big deal of it. He was fired. He was fired. Well, that would have been great. But that's not what happened. He seems to have quit. And he he was mentioned by Grassley as someone who allegedly was involved in suppressing the Hunter Biden story. But he's denying that as well. Did you see that his lawyer statement denied involvement in the Hunter Biden story? Yeah, I saw that as, a, as well, Lee. Like I said, I saw a lot of people cheering online when they said this guy was fired and he was walked out of the FBI headquarters down D.C. and all this. But um. Yeah, I saw I saw his uh, lawyer pretty much refuted everything that people were cheering on. Yes. And, and I th- I think that, you know, my my view journalistically is that the facts are enough. I'm never interested in not reporting the facts. And if I get something wrong, I like to correct it. So by coming out and saying he's, he was fired, he was fired when it, it comes out, he either was or he wasn't. But I have a by and large, I think that he released a statement publicly through a lawyer. I believe he wasn't fired because the FBI could come back and contradict that, but they're not going to. So do you, do you I'm not saying I trust the guy. I'm saying that I don't trust people who say opposite either. So do you happen to think, is your belief that he was fired or wasn't fired right now, Rod? Oh, no, my belief was that he he wasn't fired. Uh, you know, the last time this was a big thing was with Peter Schrock when he uh, was supposedly, you know, fired. And they said he was shipped him outside and, and uh, with a box. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't I don't think this guy was fired. So, you know, I thought that was a, a media creation. Um, maybe even the FBI, some people within the FBI themselves put it out there to the media. But I personally don't think he was fired. No, I think that's a good analysis. Because one thing is... If you can get reporters to say stuff that's not true, and they say 90% true stuff, because, in fact, Tebow was mentioned in Grassley's letter, and the whistleblower did mention Tebow in some way. Tebow's up to something. And I'll tell you what, they also went through social media. Do you know what's 100% clear, but no one cares about it? He hates Russia. He's a Russophobe. He's part of the anti-Russian narrative, because he said he had one tweet where he said, can we give Kentucky to Russia, to the Russian Federation? And what he's referring there 
as Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul. And do you know what makes me nuts? When people talk about Moscow Mitch, you've heard liberals do that, right? Yeah, I have, and it makes, it makes no sense. Right, but they like it because they both begin with M, so it's fun to say. But there is nothing about Mitch McConnell that is even reasonable about Russia. He's another Russophobe. He's another anti-Russian politician. So Moscow Mitch is nuts. But for him to say that as an FBI agent, but the same way Strzok was very clearly anti-Russian. But I'll put it like this. When you show an, a bias against the country, I don't think you should be involved investigating them. But that's a unique opinion. I'm almost alone in that. In that I think that if you say, like Strzok said, I hate Russians, he should not be on the Russia investigation. Because people have been so demonized for even not defending Russia, but even not going along with every attack on Russia. That's what Rand Paul gets in trouble for, for not act actively attacking Russia. But I want to get to phone calls now. 202-521-1320. Let's go to our friend, the killer of owls, owl killer. Go on, you're on. You know, something you ever notice, you're, not, you're bringing up Rand Paul. One thing I noticed that Ron Paul never strayed away from was the foreign policy and the um, the Federal Reserve. And I remember he was caught off camera um, and asked one time about 9-11. And they asked um, somebody's like, hey, you know, you know about 9-11. You know uh, what really happened and words to that effect. And he's like, yeah, I know, but, you know, it's too hard to get people to pay attention to that. And it's the main thing I think we need to focus on the Federal Reserve. Um, at the end of the day, that is, I think he's at the, he's right. The, the entire, the entire new world order is financed. It's through the central banking. It's the bankers. And I, I find it, you saw that story um, about the Ukrainian uh, woman that infiltrated Mar-a-Lago pretending to be a Rothschild. I mean, 250, 300 years and they're later, and they're still, all the person has to do is mention that name, and they, uh, Trump, Lindsey Graham are all over her and let her in wherever she wanted, wanted to go, taking pictures with her. I mean, it shows two things. It shows, it's, I really do think that a lot of the, um, the so-called security measures that we have in this country, they're just, you know, it's really just a facade. It's a, it's a money drain for someone to be able to get that close to prominent people like that. But it also shows um, it is the power of the, uh, of the central bankers. That is really, that's Sauron right there. And I, I, maybe that is where our, our true focus should be. At the end of the day, the people that are just strong lives for, for, people on the right and people on the left, it comes from that central authority and that central bank. Well, it's amazing. You know, my jaw dropped when I found the article in the Financial Times that Mikhail Khodorkovsky, when he was sent to prison by Putin, he gave the controlling interest in his shares in Yukos to Jacob Rothschild. The fact that Jacob yeah. Rothschild's on the board of Gene Energy, you've heard me talk about it a lot. 
because it's germane. That's not subtle. He gave his controlling interest in his sheriffs to Jacob Rothschild, right? That's not, he took, that's not, you know, there's a picture of Kordakovsky with Rothschild at Davos. You know, that would mean nothing. Does that make sense, Owl Keller? It's not su subtle, in other words. Oh, no, and you know something? Again, remember when I, yesterday I said to Jason how Trump's running around saying, oh, yeah, I was right about uh, Germany and them cutting their energy off, Russia cutting the energy off, because that's what the, that is what the, the controllers on the right, they want that message. They don't want him to look object, objectively and say, hey, go back to what he initially ran on, which was, you know, detente with Russia. Because you, you remember initially in 2016, before he won the Republican nomination, he said Russia did not invade Crimea. And then as soon as he won the nomination, you saw the po talking points started to stop. We stopped talking about uh, Saudi Arabia and the uh, 29 pages with 9-11. We st he, st he started saying that Russia did invade uh, Ukraine and Russia did invade Crimea. And then it became his other, his like, his calling card was like, when I was in there, they didn't, Russia didn't do anything. They did something with Bush. They did something with Obama. And now they're doing something with, uh, with Biden, but they didn't do it with me. And I think the, the people that want to control him and have him boxed into these issues, they play up. Oh, look how smart, look, look how ahead of everything you were. And he's like, okay, so this must be a good talking point. And he sticks to it because he, that, those are, those are two um, complete opposite viewpoints of definitively telling Jeb Bush that Russia did not invade Crimea and then saying that Russia well, and, did. And I'll go uh, back to Trump's army, but let uh, me say, and I'll come back to you, I'll color. I wanted to say this yesterday, but it was a great conversation, so I didn't. Uh, we're talking about Jared Kushner. Let me tell you what I know personally, and this is straight from Bannon. This is straight from Bannon. He said, they would be in for a meeting at the White House, Trump and Bannon and Navarro and Ivanka and Jared and a bunch of other people at the table, okay? And they would talk about policy, and they'd all decide on something. We're going to do this, and we'll announce it tomorrow. Then everyone would leave because the meeting was over. Bannon would leave, and Navarro would leave. But Jared and Ivanka stayed at the table. Which makes sense. It's his daughter. So can you picture the meeting breaking up? And they're hanging around behind after the meeting. It's, in one sense, not suspicious. So can you picture that, Owl Killer? And yeah, then Bannon said, then the next day, Trump totally had a different policy. Something had happened between the time Bannon and Navarro and everyone left. And Jared and Ivanka stayed behind privately and everyone i've never That's i've never sat down and talked to trump i've asked him a question at a press conference but i've never talked to him but everyone i know who talks to trump told me that donald trump is a guy who the last idea he heard is is the best idea does that make sense uh yes but going back to what you're saying bannon said yes look peter navarro I, I, I think that guy is genuine, okay? I really do think 
whether he's right or wrong on certain things, I think he's genuine and he believes what he says. And he said specifically that when he was commenting on uh, the Jared Kushner book, that as soon as that he had deals worked out, well, trade deals worked out, and Jared Kushner would go backdoor at the end when nobody was around. And exactly what your Bannon was describing to you, as soon as when they would meet the next morning, he would go back on what they had already ironed out and calls they had already made and had things in place. And I mean, that, and that, been, that is, that I've was been saying weakness. this like four years. I, I, so it's good. Peter was confirming it, but I've been saying it for four years because I heard back when Bannon was at the white house and they were very irritated. So I think the dangerous person is Jared Kushner. Now, let me point out the Kushner connection to a lot of this stuff. Jared Kushner's mentor, a lot of people don't know this, is Rupert Murdoch. And Murdoch also was the one who, threw his wife, Wendy Jiang at the time, his ex-wife, kept the Kushners from getting—they were, they were engaged, and they were about to get married, Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. Then they split up because Ivanka did not want to convert to Judaism. And the person who kept them together is Wendy Diang, at the time, Rupert Murdoch's wife. So Murdoch kept that relationship together, which gave Jared his power. If Jared were not married to Ivanka Trump, he would have no sway with Trump at all. Agreed? There's nothing about Jared that Trump would like, aside from it's his daughter's husband. Does that make sense, Al Killer? Yeah, and I, I just want to say one other thing. Um, that I mean, anybody that buys a building six six six, look, if that, that's not the real estate you want to buy, especially overvalued uh, at, at the value that he bought it at. But it, something about about him just just gave me the creep the entire time. But no, I, I do remember. Um, I think it was I, I heard from you, and I also uh, Rick Wiles on True News brought up that it was. Uh, Rupert Murdoch's wife that actually encouraged them to stay together, like behind talking to both of them. Um, Cause that, that was a big deal. And I think it was a big deal for uh, Trump's uh, ex-wife, Ivana um, of her converting like that. That was, it, it really bothered her more than uh, uh, Donald of her uh, converting a religion. Yeah. Now, and also Dina Powell was one of, of, of Ivana Trump's, of, forgive me, Ivanka Trump's, the daughter. Ivanka Trump's connections are bizarre. She's best friends with Chelsea Clinton and Huma Abedin. And she's very close to Dana Powell, who's in the White House, who's a Goldman Sachs person, who I was also told, Bannon got word to me that Dana Powell was very dangerous. I, oh, yeah. And I reported a number of things about Dana Powell. But Jared Kushner. He's also a young. Yeah. So I was saying about the Trump Tower meeting, don't forget, Jared Kushner was at the Trump Tower meeting, okay? Now, the Trump Tower meeting exposed one of the bad guys, and I think it, it would have put Trump onto suspecting what was going on. The Trump Tower meeting exposed Kordakovsky, and that's, as we've pointed out, links to Kordakovsky, who's on the board of GE Energy, GE Energy, who owned the exclusive drilling rights to oil under the Golan Heights. 
So the yep. fact that Murdoch and Rothschild were involved with Genie Energy, I'm convinced, and I asked Roger Stone about this. I said, when you were on the Trump campaign, did Jared talk to Rupert Murdoch? And, Jer- and Roger Stone was adamant every freaking day. Jared, almost like he's checking in and looking for orders. Does that make sense, Owl Keller? Oh, definitely. And, uh, and I mean, again, with credit, Trump said a few months ago that he thinks that um, Jared Kushner was more—I think, putting in his words, were like, oh, he was more Israel first than America first. So, again, like, he notices—I I think it's just the pressure of the daughter and trying to, you know, trying to please her. But, no, that d- definitely Ruber Murdoch—and, you know, we know who we don't talk about anymore— uh, Sh- Sh- Sheldon Adelson. No, every- when him Mercers came around, and that Genie Energy, they're all the. And look who el- who else is on uh, Genie Energy, Cheney, and who's his one of his other uh, major. Th- so the people that he's doing the dirty work for, well, whether knowingly or unknowingly, are behind the scenes trying to sabotage. Donald them. Trump had a very bad habit of people came into his administration who were backstabbers were very dangerous. And in fact, we're supporting, I mean, the Kushner family was a big Democrat donor. So why would you think that you could trust Jared Kushner? But they they were very clever about the way they got to Trump. They would not, they didn't have Jared submit his resume. They had Jared marry his daughter. And one thing about Donald Trump, for sure, he loves his kids. Do you have any doubt is there anything weird about it? Not at all. He's a father who loves his family. Yeah, uh, he's, a, he's a good, he is a good father. There's no there's no uh, I, with all his faults, he raised good kids, and they, you, nobody can really deny that. You know, they're they're not they're not uh, writing uh, diaries, and they're not smoking crack with uh, you know European or uh, Eastern European uh, hookers, right? Or or just ones from Baltimore. But that's another story. So uh, they knew how to play Trump, and they got him through Ivanka. And I saw that very early in the Obama, forgive me, in the Trump administration. I saw that in 2017. And when I went on social media and in my writing and said, Ivanka is dangerous, reporters told me, pro-Trump reporters, they were like, don't say that. And I said, why? And they said, because Trump loves his daughter. And I said, I know. He's being played. And history is proving me right once again. She she didn't mean to be dangerous to Trump. I'm convinced of that. She did not mean to. But they played her. Does that make sense, Owl Color? Yes, I, I do. I want to get your opinion on it. And maybe it's something you don't want to talk on. Do you think that that... Him marrying Kushner, marrying her was an operation yes. itself that she wasn't it, aware of. Yes, yes, I'm you, I'm convinced of that because Trump. Don't forget, Trump had been talking for years he might run for president. So I think they saw him as a potential candidate and a potential Republican. And what these people want to do is full spectrum dominance. They do not just want to control the Democrats; they want to control the Republicans. And with someone like Trump. How do you control a guy whose reputation is for being independent and uncontrollable, right? 
You can't threaten him politically. So they figured it out. I could have figured it out. You could have figured it out. It's easy. Get to him through his family. I'll tell you who else. If if you want to have influence on Democrats, I will kill her. Have like a, you know, I my, my son Jack is probably the right age. He's 21 now. So what I would do is I would have my son Jack hook up with Obama's daughter. You follow me? And then have her fall madly in love with Jack. This is my plan. So if you want to get, because Obama is also a good father, I think. I, I, his kids have some problems, but whatever. But he seems to love his family. Yeah, they're, 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 that's what normal kids do. Right. You know, the stuff that they, I, to me, I think it's off limits. I, I totally disagree with his policies, but his kids are off limits, and they really don't do anything abnormal from what everybody else in high school and college does. So I think the, the, low, bl- the low blows that some people on the right try to throw at them is, you know, it's totally uncalled for. And so for. if you got to Donald Trump's daughters, forgive me, if you got to Barack Obama's daughters, you follow me? You could get some influence over Barack Obama. Agreed? I, um, yeah, on one level, yes. I, I think Obama's too smart. I think he's an, I think he is was groomed, and he understands the game. I don't think he would allow that. that I don't think. He, I think he's not the one that would allow something like yes, that. Yes. Okay. I, I really think, accident involving my that. son. So, if you're listening, Jack, don't date Obama's daughter. That's an order. So there we go. But but no, I've been convinced for a while. But it's the kind of thing you're not going to find a piece of paper that says "Welcome to Operation Ivanka." Okay, who here's here's what we'll do, and they they don't write this down. But I'm convinced that so to call it an operation, I don't think it's that formal, right? But I think if you're blue skying, how do we get this guy? How do we control him? That's an obvious way to control Trump. And sure enough, this is what happened. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely, 100%. Yep. And I thought I, I it, I've heard it, I've, and I, I just wanted to get somebody else's opinion on it. But yeah, it definitely does make sense. You're not the only person that said that. It, and it, it, the, th- the thing that I have proof for is what the results are. For sure, I, there's no question what the results of the Ivanka Trump Jared Kushner marriages. There's no doubt about who's involved in keeping it together and what they're involved in. Gene energy. So, Al Keller, since you called in, I'm going to force you to participate in the question of the day, since this is a new feature I'm doing. Do you think the Democrats are headed for election disaster? Al Keller. Barring any false flag or, or real event, 100%. They're done. Okay. Thanks for the call, Owl Killer. 202-521-1320. Dan, what's on your mind? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought we had a caller. Forgive me. See, I think of Daniel as Daniel. So that's why I was a little confused. Also, I'm obviously a little confused in general. But let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Dan Lazar. See what you did to me? Daniel Zarr, next on The Backstory.
back on the backstory on 105.5 FM AM 1390. We're joined now by a great friend of the show, the writer and analyst, Daniel Czar. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Now, does anyone call you Dan? Yeah. Okay, so are you commonly, do most people, because maybe it's respect on my part. I always think of you as Daniel. I don't, That's very for nice. some reason. But, but, yeah, but, go but ahead. for most, for most of my, most of my friends is Dan and growing up, it was Danny. Yeah, no, no I'm not going to do that. Because <laughs> also, because I have a girlfriend I call Danny and uh, she's Danielle, but same thing. So, Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing great. So let's talk about first China. Then I want to talk about what's going on in Iraq, because it seems like chaos over there. But this very dangerous situation where Taiwan's shot at a Chinese drone, and they say they're not going to stop anything within 12 kilometers they're going to shoot at. How dangerous do you see this situation? And do you think Nancy Pelosi helped cause it? Daniel? Yeah, it, it's, it's very dangerous. And, and not only is it, it's worse than dangerous, because it's clear where things are heading. I mean, it's clear that a collision is going gonna, is gonna to take shape. That's just plain as day. Whether it happens tomorrow, next week, next month is unknown, but it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, in a, the two countries are on a collision course. And yeah, Nancy Pelosi certainly upped the ante. You know, she, uh, she intensified things. She brought the collision a little closer. So I guess she deserves that credit, if you want to call it that. Uh, so, you know, so yeah, so the, it's, it's, it's very bad. And a, and a war between the U.S., a, a war with China, by the way, is one of the worst things that can happen in today's international atmosphere. And also, what position will Taiwan be in? Taiwan, I don't see going up against China winning. So this is not a situation where someone was pushed into a confrontation that they can't win, much like Ukraine. Do you see that 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 situation the way I do? That Taiwan, well, it's going to result in disaster for Taiwan and the people of Taiwan. Well, I, I think it would, except I think the U.S. would be drawn directly into the conflict. I mean, yeah, I mean, if if, if the U.S. stays out of it, then 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 Taiwan's defeat at the hands of the Chinese is inevitable. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not saying the Chinese will have an easy time of it. The uh, the strait is is is, is long. Uh, the Chinese Navy has never been tested in, in combat. Uh, so a lot of things can go wrong, just as they went wrong for uh, Vladimir Putin back in February. Um, but eventually the Chinese will prevail, just as eventually the, the Russians will prevail in the Ukraine. Um, and, uh, and if the U.S. stays out of it, that means that, you know, that, that, uh, that Taiwan will end up being pulverized, uh, will be set back generations. Um, but if the U.S. enters into it, which I think they will probably wind up doing, then it's a thousand times worse. And I'll push back on one thing you said, not to be argumentative, but I was thinking about it. You said, and I heard a number of people say this, that Russia didn't do well early on in the special military operation. And I would argue, I was thinking about this the other day, that they did exactly what they probably wanted to do, which was in February— they took out Ukraine's air force. They took out any air power Ukraine has had. And by doing that first thing in the conflict, 
They've reaped the benefits of doing that up till now. Ukraine's greatly diminished military capacity was a result of Russia immediately going after. I see. I noticed that they, they didn't go into Donbass initially, but they had to do things to set up for Donbass. So do you have any opinion on that, Daniel? Well, I mean, I've heard that before. Uh, it's um, it's it's not implausible, but it's for me, it's really hard to explain why you would put tens of thousands of troops and have them sit there for like for three weeks and be fired upon by the Ukrainians and essentially being forced to withdraw. That strikes me as a huge sacrifice of troops, um, and it seems to be clear that they that they, they that the uh, the Russians were hoping to take out Kiev, and they did not succeed in doing that. But you know, but I but I agree that it, that it served to lure. Ukrainian forces away from the Donbass, where the Russians struck next, and I and I really believe that you know that irrespective of the of the of the um, various strategic errors, that essentially Russia will prevail in this conflict, just due due to sheer force of numbers, sheer determination. Uh, it's I mean, there's just little doubt how this will turn out. And especially now, this this Kyrgyzstan offensive seems to be fading rapidly. Uh, I expect the um, the the Ukrainians to be to end up all the weaker. No, and I agree. And I actually think China, you you know, you talk about its navy's untested, and that's true. But I think they'll do okay. And I think the people I would worry about are the U.S. because we're untested too. And when we've been tested. To any extent in Ukraine, we've not come out well. And I'll, I'll relate it to the Artemis. It's, just, it's a peacetime mission, but the Artemis rocket that they're launching, they were trying to launch into lunar orbit as a setup to go to the moon and then go to Mars. They couldn't get the rocket off a couple of days ago. They had to abort the launch. And I've noticed. We seem to be pretty inept when it comes to doing things we should be good at. A lot of Americans like to think we have a great military, and a lot of Americans try to think we're great at, at space exploration. And I don't, I'm not seeing Afghanistan, I think, showed that we're not as good as many Americans, I think, would hope we are. What do you think about that, Daniel? Oh, well, I, I think you're mixing apples and oranges. I mean, I, I think a, a technologically— you know, intense effort like a space launch is one thing. And I think the U.S. is good at that. I mean, I think it's, it's pulled off some really spectacular coups in recent years, you know, landing a rover on Mars, for example. That's, uh, that's, no, that's no small feat. Um, but, but wars are different. Wars, you know, wars are, are, are won by numbers, by firepower, by determination, et cetera. Um, and and, and this is, these are not, not American strengths. Because Americans don't want to go to war, they prefer to you know they prefer to like you know have others go to war for them. Uh, they like dealing in fancy high tech toys, which you know which in the battlefield you know rarely work as well as they're supposed to. Um, you know, and so so America doesn't have much by way of staying power. And and you're absolutely correct when you say the 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 U.S. Navy is also untested. I mean, it really isn't. It has not been tested in 75 years. And everything has changed since then. You know, they they're they're going up against China. They go they're, they'll be operating in Chinese territorial waters against a country 
bristling with with um, with ultra with, with uh, hypersonic missiles, you know, and just thirsting for a good, fat, juicy target, you know, to aim those missiles at. Uh, and you know, I, I mean, things you know, things could get really hairy, really fast if some kind of of direct military confrontation opens up between the U.S. and China in the Western Pacific. I mean, it's just it, it's just too awful to contemplate, and it just shows the incredible recklessness of this foreign policy establishment, you know, which has called the shots since World War II, and as shown itself to be increasingly incompetent at every you know, at every stage. And and Daniel, I, I, I agree with the point you made. And I wasn't trying to say the, the US has a history of being good at space exploration. But I say in the Biden administration, they've shown ineptitude, like Afghanistan is a good example. And also because the focus seems to me to be meeting diversity quotas lately. <laughs> They're focused on the wrong thing, not not doing missions, but that's and so Daniel. But on pronouns, on pronouns. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Now, uh, have you been following what's been going on in Iraq? Because I'm confused by it. It seems like there's chaos in Iraq, and I notice whenever there's chaos around the world, usually the U.S. is directly involved, and I can't tell whether we're playing a factor. I'm seeing the green zone is under attack and so on. I'm seeing riots. But what's your take on what's happening in Iraq, Daniel? Well, what's happening in Iraq is, uh, I mean, these, uh, these, these oil economies are, are actually end up being very weak. Uh, they, they, they foster immense amounts of corruption and patronage. Um, and, uh, and the U.S. brokered a power-sharing relationship, not unlike that which exists in, in Lebanon between Shiites and Sunnis, uh, you know, after taking the country over in 2003. Um, and, and, that, and that relationship is breaking down rapidly. Uh, remember, it was the, it was the Shiite militias uh, that essentially drew, you know, vanquished ISIS in, uh, in northern Iraq in 2015. Uh, and those those uh, popular militia units, PMUs as they're called, have remained armed ever since and have, you know, have sort of constituted a kind of an extra parliamentary force. Uh, and now the things are breaking down. Uh, the, you know, the, the Shiites want more political representation in parliament. They're not getting it. Uh, and things are sort of taking a, a Lebanese turn. I mean, you know, you're, you, you remember back in the 70s and 80s when, when Lebanon was Consumed by uh, by by civil war as these as these minute factions. There are twenty of them. So, you know, Maronite Christians, Sunnis, Shiites, etc., uh, etc. Et went to war with one another and destroyed the country. And it seems as if Iraq is moving in the same direction. Unfortunately, and uh, of course, Iraq asked the U.S. to leave a few years ago. And they, we, we don't want to. We're not leaving, right? Right. The U.S. wants a loyal state there. But, you know, I mean, this, this whole U.S. presence in the Persian Gulf is completely bonkers. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the incompetence of the American foreign policy establishment is simply stunning. Uh, but, but basically, the U.S. wants to control the Persian Gulf, mainly to ensure that 
that it, that it, it's not controlled by Iran, Russia, or China. So somehow controlling the Persian Gulf is the, is the key to controlling the world, and therefore the U.S. You know, maintains this very rickety state in, in Iraq, and things are falling apart, and the U.S. doesn't know what to do, but it still wants to stay put. It just it just doesn't make any sense at all. It's it's amazingly incompetent. Well, now it seems to me that by one standard, the standard normal people would apply, it's been a disaster. But I don't think that's the yardstick that the U.S. is using. For instance, I think normal people would think, well, it benefits citizens, it benefits the people. But I don't think the U.S. cares. I think they've shown consistently they don't care about the welfare of the people. Do you think that's a consistent principle with the U.S.? Is Because their policies clearly work out disastrously. For instance, our policy about Ukraine is working out really badly for Europeans. They're about to face huge energy shortages, and they were kind of pushed into it by the U.S. And we reported yesterday that we played a clip from Tucker Carlson. They're saying 70 percent of restaurants are predicted to close in England. So consistently, these these things work out badly for the people. Daniel, what do you— Yeah. Do you, do you, yeah go ahead. Yeah, I think, I think the American empire is collapsing and a welter— of uh, of confusion and and, and incompetence, uh, I, I mean it's it's just amazing. Uh, I mean I mean I don't know what's going to happen in November. I heard you with your previous guest saying that the uh, that that the, the Democrats are facing disaster. I don't really know if that's true or not. But you know, but even if the even if Biden holds things together, is able to 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 hold his losses to a minimum in November, that the long term trend is clear. I mean. The whole the whole imperial system is collapsing. I mean, the the European economies are falling off a roof. Uh, the 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 American economy is facing recession, disaster. Uh, famine is stalking the third world, uh, and and uh, the war in Ukraine is not going well for the Americans. And there's the possibility of military catastrophe in the Western Pacific. Uh, this is this is not how you want. To, this is not how empires are supposed to be run. No, no. And I, the situation in Iraq seems to me, it, every, everything you said was right. But another way of looking at it, it's simply another chaos point around the world, which we've seen yeah. like Sri Lanka. And yeah, uh, let's talk about Pakistan for a second. Aside from the fact that we we hope. The people of Pakistan are okay because they're having disastrous floods right now, huge floods. A third of the country is underwater. And so there's a lot of human suffering in Pakistan. But you saw about a week ago, citizens were surrounding Emran Khan's residence to keep him from getting arrested. A massive uprising of the people to support Emran Khan. Now, and... I, I could see something like that coming at Mar-a-Lago because people are starting to see that Trump is going to be under indictment. It's very clear. The New York Times—did you see the New York Times editorial this weekend? 
that called for Donald Trump's indictment? Yes, I did. Now, how bizarre is that? I mean, and I think setting a very clear, I've been saying for weeks now that I think Donald Trump is going to be indicted. And when the New York Times comes out and says it, I think they're setting the stage for an indictment. What say you, Daniel Zarr? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. But but the the, the, same, the editorial also also admitted that the indictment will just like, you know, will just, you know, speed the uh, the civil war, the incipient civil war, you know, all the further along. Uh, and, and, the, and the Times had had no answer. For that. So, yeah, I mean, so, so I, I think whether Trump, Trump is indicted or not, it's very possible he will be uh, indicted. Uh, but if he's indicted, it'll just like it'll it just will it'll raise the, the political temperature, you know, ever higher. Uh, both sides will be preparing for a showdown. I mean, I don't know how it'll affect November, but certainly it's going to bring, you know, just things to a boil. If, if, the, if the Republicans do uh, take the House, which I still think they will, uh, then uh, they'll, be, they'll be thirsting for revenge. I mean, serious revenge. And do, do you view it, I, I find it bizarre, given the church committee hearings in the 70s, that we've reversed the Republicans are more realistic and afraid of the power of the CIA and the FBI, whereas Democrats seem to be big fans of the CIA and the FBI. It's a complete well, reversal of what happened in the seventies. What do you think of that, Daniel? Well, that's 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 absolutely true, and that and that's been that's what has been going on since since two thousand fifteen for the moment that Trump, uh, you know, declared for the presidency, uh, and um, and and. The the deep state, what you know, whether whatever you think of that term, you know, quickly mobilized uh, to discredit him to prevent his victory, uh, you know, and um, and and they really thought they that they had it all sewn up, you know, thanks to the the Russia revelations, Russia, Russia, Russia. They thought they had the the cat was in the bag, and then of course in November they woke up to find that Donald Trump. Had slipped into office by virtue of the uh, the electoral college, and then you know, then the the alliance between the Democrats, the 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 corporate media, and the uh, the FBI, CIA, etc., then went into overdrive. So yeah, there was a complete realignment in in, in Washington. Liberals who previously had been critical of the FBI and CIA now couldn't get enough of them. You know, they were they were all in bed together, having a great big complicated menage a trois or casque or whatever it was. So you know, so uh, so you know, so so it, it has been a tremendous change, and it's and it's still going on. I mean, you know, that they 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 they're charging Trump with that. They may charge Trump with violations of the Espionage Act. Uh, it's astonishing. In fact, yeah. Donald Trump and uh, and Julian Assange. You know, could be indicted under the you know under the Espionage Act together. And if they shared a cell together, I would love to be a fly <laughs> on the wall. Be exactly. <laughs> and Julian Assange would probably say, "Hate to say, I told you so," but and and Trump would just growl. So, <laughs> Daniel, you're a, a, a student of history and of current affairs. What is? I know it's a. A impossible question to answer, but where do you see all this going? Project a couple of years into future. 
Where do you think we'll be in a couple of years? Feel free to prognosticate bravely. Just intense turmoil. I mean, look, I mean, World War II was followed by roughly 80 years of peace. Now, admittedly, peace that was broken by, you know, things like the, the Vietnam War, invasion of uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But after the, after the vast pools of blood that were shed, you know, between 1939 and 1945, they were relatively minor eruptions. Uh, but now I think we are entering into a period of deep turmoil, deep turmoil. Um, and, the, you know, the problem is, like, you know, is that, is that you know, when, when, when one empire, you know, gives up the ghost and another takes its place, the interregnum is never easy. Uh, and the U.S. empire is clearly giving up the ghost. Uh, but that just the transition to whatever lies beyond will be just turbulent in the extreme. That's basically all I can say. And then, and that, by the way, then there's global warming. Then there's a there's an, there's a global economy which is uh, I think is in, is in deep trouble, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, Daniel. A couple of years ago, I think we could agree that we lived in a unipolar, a unipolar world. A couple of years ago, we could say that. Now, I think it's questionable. Do you think we still live in a unipolar world? I think we'd agree it's headed towards a multipolar world, but I'm not sure it's there yet. I think we're in a transitional period, which is why it's so chaotic. What do you think? Well, I, I, I think we're, I think we're getting there. I mean, I mean, look, I mean, I, I mean, U.S. military power has been on the wane uh, since, um, uh, since two thousand one to two thousand eleven. I mean, roughly, you know, from 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 uh, the the World Trade Center to Iraq and Afghanistan to the attacks on on uh, on Libya and Syria. I mean, the U.S. has a has um, shown its weakness, uh, shown that it is a it you know it is past the tipping point, and the um, and and Joe Biden's you know attempts to say that America is back seems to have actually hastened the process because it led to this disaster in Ukraine and it's leading to potentially a, a far greater disaster in the uh, in the Western Pacific. So you know so uh, so. So I think that the tipping point is clearly in the rearview mirror. Uh, we're in a new era. Uh, uh, China can't be pushed around, uh, and uh, and Russia can't be pushed around either. Uh, and not to say those countries don't aren't themselves facing immense problems. I mean, the Chinese economy is in, is in serious trouble. This real estate disaster is going to is going to leave. Some serious wreckage behind, and uh, you know, and 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 the then the Russian economy is facing a crunch as well. And, uh, and I noticed that among the multi poles, I'm not a fan of the country, but it's clear that Saudi Arabia does not want to be under the U.S.'s thumb anymore. That they want to assert their independence. Would you agree with that? Yes and no. This the thought when 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 push comes to shove, uh, the um, the Saudis always go running to a to a daddy Washington for uh, for protection. 
I mean, I mean that is the that is not only the not only the the most contemptible regime on the face of the earth. It's also one of the weakest, uh, and uh, and um, and they have no one. Who, you know, and Washington has stood by them through thick and thin. You know, from the uh, from 1945. You know, even to the point of covering up Saudi Arabia's you know major role in the attack on the World Trade Center. Um, so the U.S. has stood by them all the, all these years. Joe Biden is still standing by them, even as you know, as Saudi as Saudi cops terrorize women, you know, engage in all kinds of atrocities. Um, so I, I just think that that it's a it's a very bad marriage. It's a really a deeply sick marriage, but nonetheless, it seems to be long lasting, and it's not going away soon. But what do you think of the fact that a few months ago the Saudis literally refused to take Biden's call? That was shocking to me that a country would refuse to take the president's phone call. And that showed me, I, I, I agree, it's not a clear case, but I think they're showing signs of maybe teenage rebellion is a better term, but they want some degree of independence. And that moment where they refused to take Joe Biden's phone call was shocking to me. Daniel? Well, a couple of months ago, oil was at $120 a barrel. Today, it's at $89 a barrel. Barrel. It's fallen 25%. So I would say the Saudis are 25% less independent than they were a couple of months ago. I mean, look at this is a this is the the worst society in the face of the earth, uh, and it's so weak. It's amazing, and everything rides on oil. So when oil is up, the Saudis are you know are independent minded. Tough. They refuse to take Joe Biden's phone calls, and when oil is down, they're whimpering curs. You know, you know, just like you know, licking, uh, you know, uh, Washington's shoes and just begging for protection. Uh, I, I mean, my, the, that there, there really is no government on earth, more, no ruling clique more contemptible than that of the uh, the House of Saud. So I take you're not going to Radford vacation <laughs> this summer. But if you want to get weather this like Saudi Arabia, just go to California because they're headed towards 114 degree temperatures in the valley. I just mentioned that. Uh, now, uh, Daniel, what do you see as the role of India in the multipolar world? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, India is a is, is a as it has emerged as a major global power. Um. Uh, but you know, it's 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 sort of like you know, like it's it's kind of seems to want to set itself up as a as a Hindu Israel. I mean, it, it wants to be have an, an ethno nationalist state with a with a big military footprint and a big economic footprint. I know that, that that's what everyone wants these days. By the way, I mean, I mean, Zelensky wants the Ukraine to be a to be a Slavic uh, Israel. Uh, 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 Orban in, in uh, Hungary wants his country to be a uh, to be a Magyar Israel. Israel is now the model for all for for all countries to follow. It's it's completely bizarre. But uh, but but yeah. But 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 India is destined to be a big player, not just next year, you know, or next or for the next decade, but for the coming century. I mean, clearly India has emerged. It's coming into its own. It also faces vast problems, but it's it's an economic powerhouse 
whose problem, whose, whose, whose power cannot be. Denied. And I believe they've surpassed China recently as a manufacturing uh, uh, powerhouse. And I, they either passed China or, or they're about to. And India also has such strength in software. They have so many Indian programmers, many of whom were trained in the U.S. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Great conversation, as usual, Daniel. What's your latest piece up at weeklyworker.co.uk? I've been on vacation, so therefore I haven't published anything in a few weeks. Uh, but I am uh, preparing a, a piece about the U.S. Constitution, which should run in a week or two. Well, hopefully you, you enjoyed your vacation, because we always love having you on the show, Daniel. Great conversation. That's Daniel Zazar, and you can find his stuff at weeklyworker.co.uk. Thanks to Daniel Zar, and thanks so much to Robert Bridge for being our guest from Moscow in the first hour. And thank to Owl Killer for a great phone call. And you call us at 202-521-1320. Tomorrow, Boma, I have a new question of the day. I'm Lee Strahan, and this is The Backstory. Backstory.